Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome to your Monday Buckeye Talk from Cleveland.com. Doug Maurice and Stephen Means talking basketball here. Might go long on this one. So I like to warn you if we're going to go long, but you see how long the pod is when you turn it on. So you're, you know how long it is as you're hearing this. As I'm saying it, I don't know how long it's going to go, but we have, Stephen, 18 rapid fire questions from our texters and we're going to cover three main areas here we're going to start off with ncaa tournament stuff then we're going to get into sort of nitty-gritty about the team rotations who should play more big man stuff that kind of thing and then at the end we'll have a chris holtman discussion and i will say Stephen, it is bad timing for chris holtman that we are doing this podcast after the maryland loss and not after the win at illinois yeah. because the mood around ohio state basketball changed quite a lot in the last four days. Yeah, that tends to happen. It happened after the Iowa game, too, because they were coming off a, a pretty solid stretch with the Michigan win and then obviously blowing Minnesota out. And then you had a bad game, which <laughs> it's always funny when <laughs> with Ohio State sports fans because you apply football logic sometimes to other sports and it doesn't exist like that. Ohio State just had a bad game yesterday against a team whose best two players combined for 52 points while its best two players couldn't find a shot if you know it was sitting right in front of them. That's all it was. Now, it, it cost them something pre- very significant, and so you, you, you blow it up bigger than what it is. But at the end of the day, it's just they had a bad game. They're fine. This team has, ba- has been playing pretty much every three days at this point because they've had to throw in some makeup games from earlier in the season because of postponements. So – I'm not saying throw it out what happened yesterday, but I'm not going to put so much pressure on that that we almost forget about the fact that this is the same team that just beat a ranked Illinois team with one with probably the best player in the conference three days before that. I will say uh, I I would push back somewhat against calling the Maryland game a bad game because I will say that the thing that I thought probably made Ohio State fans worry about a, a loss like that, Stephen, is that to me looked like a 5-12 NCAA tournament game and Ohio State just lost as the five seed, right? That, that That's like a Maryland team that's inconsistent. They have a couple dudes. Ohio State sort of just their best players missed some open shots. They sort of had, there was like a point with eight minutes left where it felt like, okay, Ohio State probably can take over here. And all of a sudden, Maryland went on a run instead and it felt like a game that you would watch. It's like, that's one of, that's like Maryland, a Maryland type team that goes to Dayton, wins in Dayton, gets backdoors into the full tournament and now gets Ohio State in the first round and beats Ohio State. And you come away from the game saying, 
Ohio State's definitely the better team, but they didn't win. And when we are two weeks away from the start of the NCAA tournament, I get why that a game like that gets magnified because I thought the Illinois game looked like a Sweet 16 game that Ohio State wins to get to the Elite Eight. I thought that was kind of the level of that game. And that was like, wow, that's really encouraging. And we do have some NCAA tournament stuff here because people are wondering about upside, downside of this team. And it's this inconsistency, which is normal, but also I understand why it can be worrying for some people. So our first two questions from the texters. From Josh in Orville, Ohio. My question is quite simple. Is this team too inconsistent to make a deep tournament run? On one hand, I feel as if they could make the final four, given a good seat and the right path. But on the other hand, I feel as if they could get bounced in the first round again. And then along with that, from the 617, this team's inconsistency is maddening. They can go from looking great in games like Purdue, okay, the second half, and Illinois, and then get run out of the gym at home against Iowa and Maryland in games they should win. They have an All-American and another player that the Illinois coach says is better than the All-American, yet they get blown off the court by Maryland. Kyle Long and Justin Orange were key contributors last year, and now they are bit players at best. Even though we beat Illinois, um, they played with a ferocity that I haven't seen from the Bucs this year. So Kyle Young, by the way, was like really good against Maryland. I think it's it's not fair to Kyle, call yeah. Kyle Young a bit, bit player. That's, I think, a, a misnomer. But, Stephen, I think your point is taken that bas- college basketball is meant for teams to lose. But I also do think to call this team inconsistent is fair because there's a way you could look at this. So they lose to Iowa. They beat Indiana in overtime in a game they could have lost in regulation. They win at Illinois in a game where they were down early, fought back, got ahead, almost gave it away. And they could have lost that game. And then they lose at Maryland. So the Iowa and Maryland losses were pretty convincing and the Illinois and Indiana losses were, wins, excuse me, were pretty tight. There's a world where they're on a four game losing streak right now. Now credit to them for winning it at Illinois. That's a huge win, but is it fair to call this team inconsistent? And is it fair to have for fans to have that worry of inconsistency as this team heads towards March? Yes. I'm trying to find a philosophical way to put this. The things they need to happen for them to win games are inconsistent at times because you need they need three things every night to happen if they're going to win a game. They need EJ Liddell to be EJ Liddell. At this point, they need Malachi Branham to be Malachi Branham. And that's not going to always be a 30-point game where he's 7 of 7 in the second half. It just means being the efficient scorer that he is. And they need one or two other guys to just come along for the rise and take center stage with them. And if everybody's healthy – Typically, Justice Suing is going to be the guy number three, and then now you're just asking for a fourth guy. But Justice Suing is probably not playing again this year. He hasn't played. He played the first two games and hasn't played since. So it's probably safe to just say he's not. So he can't even be in the equation at this point. Against Illinois, you had moments where it was Kyle Young. You had moments where it was Zed Key on defense. Uh, against Indiana, you had Gene, Eugene Brown the third in the first half. You had Jamari Wheeler in the second half. You know, Kyle Young obviously has been more consistent lately. We've seen Michi Johnson show up at times. We've seen Cedric Russell be more of it at times. 
But when you don't have those three things clicking, where it's EJ playing his best, Malachi playing his best, even if it takes EJ a minute to get there just because of the way people guard him at this point, if you don't have those two clicking and you don't have another one or two guys coming along for the ride and contributing in some way or another, they're not going to win. And that's what happened in the Maryland game. Yes, they were hanging around for a while, but EJ and Malachi were never making shots. And then like the other guys just like never showed up until it was kind of too late. And by then, because Cedric Russell, a lot of his stuff came kind of too late after Maryland's best two guys had started getting to, getting stuff rolling at that point. So it's that it, it didn't happen against Iowa, so they lost. It didn't happen against Maryland, so they lost. It didn't really happen in the first Indiana game either, so they lost. But every time that you've seen those three things click, Malachi Branham, EJ Liddell, and then some other guy comes along, they've typically won. And that that's the inconsistent part, because can you get some guys to come along for four or five straight games when you get to the NCAA tournament? Because once again, I'm going to stay on this hill of, I don't care what you do in the Big Ten tournament. All right, so so there were two specific things brought up there. I'm going to jump ahead to some of the nitty-gritty basketball questions that I was going to save for the middle. People are still asking about Justice Suing from the 614. At this point, is there enough time for Justice Suing to get back up to speed and be that third scorer? You're telling people, just imagine he's not coming back. Yes, and if he, if he ends up playing, be pleasantly surprised because they haven't ruled him out, obviously, but he's played two games and there's three games left in the regular season, even if you do get him back, that's not enough time to work a guy into a rotation and work a guy into getting some type of chemistry. And he's, yes, he's very good and he's valuable to this team, but he's not so good that you just roll him out there on the court and he's just going to start doing, being the best version of himself the moment he walks out there. Okay. So in the search for this third guy, if you think, okay, don't count on it being just a suing from the 302, does said Russell deserve more minutes? It feels like he's the only other legitimate scoring threat after the big two. You look at what this team is shooting from three point range. And I want I do want to talk about the three point shooting a little bit more. Um, Malachi Branham and said Russell are their leading three point shooters, making 44% of their threes. He was four of five from three point range against Maryland. He does seem like instant offense at times. He seems like he does not have a consistent role in the rotation. And I'm imagining, Stephen, and again, I don't watch these guys every game, but is he one of these guys where, yeah, he might make some threes, but maybe in other aspects of the game, he's not doing what Chris Holtman wants a guy to do, whether it's defensively, whether it's moving without the ball, and that's not why, that's why he's not playing as much, or do they just have to forget about that? And if this guy can heat up, they've got to put him on the floor more. I think early in the season, that was a really good way to describe it because he was jumping up a level and a guy who was averaging, you know, 18 plus points a game at Louisiana. Well, you're not going to do that in the Big Ten now that you're playing at a power five school where the guys are bigger, stronger, faster, more talented than they were. So there was an adjustment period for everything else, even his offense. That took some time. He's had 12 points four times this year. It's been the IUPUI game where he got extended minutes because it's IUPUI. And then the other three are the Duke win, the Michigan win, and then the Maryland loss where like he helped them stick around longer than they should have in that game. So short answer, yes, I think he needs more minutes at this point because those three games taking out the IUPUI game tell me that this guy is a gamer and he's going to, he for what he when he gets on that stage he's gonna perform you know they they always say when the lights are on it's time to perform he seems like a guy who's kind of ready for that moment I'm not saying that there's a 25 point game for Cedric Russell in the second round of the NCAA tournament but it feels like this idea of him getting 
10 to 12 points and he's hitting some big time threes late in a game that you're trying when you're trying to move on to the next round that seems like it's out there for him so yeah at this point I am at he should probably be playing some more minutes especially you know you don't have a lot of guards in the team who are getting you legitimate offense at this point some of that's rotation based but that's also talent based last 10 big 10 games he's played 21 minutes, eight points, 13 minutes, nine points, 11 minutes, no points, nine minutes, three points, 24 minutes, 12 points, 23 minutes, nine points, 19 minutes, four points, 11 minutes, zero points, 14 minutes, six points, and 19 minutes, 12 points. I, that was like the best of him, right? That, that game against Maryland, when a lot of other guys, nobody else was making threes. He was four of five. That was the, probably the best that he can give you. So I understand why people are asking Cedric Russell questions right now. It is one of those things. Now, listen, I mean, there, there, you know, there were some games in there where he's playing 20 minutes a game. I mean, that's not, that's a, that's a healthy, that's a healthy role. But then again, the, the Indiana game that they almost lost, he played 11 minutes and didn't score. So there are some things here. They are going to go matchup based on some things. And also, but, but I will say, I didn't realize he was shooting that well from three point range. That is, you know, this, this team can use that Steven, right. That at some point they've, they've, if they're looking for a third scorer, you might have to lean towards scoring and hope that Jamari Wheeler and Eugene Brown and Kyle Young and some of these other guys can make up for maybe some of the defensive stuff, but have said Russell on the floor as a third option. Cause there are times when they work some stuff, you know, there was just, a, you know, you grab possessions. I like to take one possession in one game in a 31 game season and be like that encapsulates the entire team. But they had a moment where like Jamari Wheeler, like threw it into Zed key and Zed key kicked it back out to Jamari Wheeler and Jamari Wheeler missed a three. And I was like, well, that's not going to get them anywhere. Right. Like that's not, even though Jamari Wheeler is actually shooting better from three-point rates than I thought, I still don't want Jamari Wheeler shooting a lot of threes for this team. And it seems like defenses are very happy to let him shoot threes. You need some more offense on the court sometimes. And it's almost especially when Liddell or Branham is off the court, then you really want said Russell on because otherwise teams are going to sag on the one scorer who's left and make life really hard on them because they're kicking out the guys that nobody's afraid of. You, It's, you have to make teams pay for selling out on EJ Liddell and Malachi Branham at this point, because it in turn makes things easier for EJ Liddell and Malachi Branham to be EJ Liddell and Malachi Branham. You know what I'm saying? But also from a rotation standpoint, Malachi Branham and EJ Liddell should never be sitting on the bench at the same time ever again, unless they're up by 20 and the game is over. Now yeah. they got to, he's the Holtman's got to start staggering their minutes. And you start them together, you end them together. That the, That's the first, you know, five minutes of the last five minutes, the 30 minutes in between that you got to figure out ways to make sure there's always at least one of them on the court, because there have been a lot of times over the last couple of weeks here where teams have gone on runs and Ohio state can't buy a bucket. And I'm going, Oh, that's why, because EJ and Malachi are sitting next to each other on the bench and they have no idea who to give the ball to. So it's like, it's yes, Cedric Russell. Yeah, everything you just said about Cedric Russell and finding a third score. Yes, but also both of those guys need one of them needs to be on the floor at all times. So this is one of the issues, though, that we can't take the emergence of Liddell and Branham for granted from the five, eight, five. 
What aspect of this team gives me any hope that this isn't a Sienna or Oral Roberts opening round loss in the NCAA tournament? And I, I will say, it's to me, it's the thing that we've talked about, which is you need two pros, and they have two pros. You know, after the Illinois game, the entire discussion around Ohio State basketball was, are they going to lose Malachi Branham after one year? Do they maybe have two guys who are going to go in the first round of the NBA draft in June? Like, that was the discussion less than a week ago around this team. That's the starting point. That's what we always say. Two pros, two pros, two pros. They're there. So to the fact that we're having a discussion about, well, who's the third guy? Well, what's the rotation behind them? Well, how should they stagger the minutes of the two pros? That's a that's a step forward. And as it turns out, Dwayne Washington is a pro, although he is like he's scoring 20 points a game in moments where like the Pacers are losing by 30 and he's scoring 20. And it's like, to score 20 points in an NBA game is something, but he's like filling it up for a team that gave up and is like, so like, I don't want to like it. If it turns out that last year they had two pros. Uh, Dwayne was a, Dwayne is a pro by approach because he grew up around pros because his uncle's Derek Fisher. Malachi is a pro by talent level. And two first round. Like his first round. Yes. So, so that's why, like, if you think, okay, why, why are you not super scared of another first-round loss? It's because probably the team that Ohio State will play in their first round, the NCAA tournament, that team probably doesn't have two potential first-round picks, and that's a pretty good place to start. Is it not? I, I want to make sure that we give uh, this coaching staff, this team, we give Malachi Branham and E.J. Liddell themselves the credit for the development that they have made this year, EJ has expanded his game. Malachi Branham, I think, has come farther and faster than even many of us expected, knowing how good he might be as a top 25 national recruit. These are two legit dudes, Stephen, and not everybody in the tournament has that. If we go down, and maybe you'll do a story like this before the NCAA tournament, if you rank the best duos of teams in the NCAA tournament, there's going to be 68 teams in that tournament. I would imagine EJ Liddell and Malachi Branham are in the top 20 of best duos, and they mm-hmm. might be in the top 12. So that's a pretty good starting point. I mean, I wrote back in the offseason last spring the idea of could Ohio State have both the Big Ten player of the year and Big Ten freshman of the year. Um, both are on the table. The freshman of the year part probably a little bit more likely because there's like seven Big Ten player of the year uh candidate that's at this point who could realistically win that award and one of them is averaging 20 and 10 but that's come to fruition here and to your point it's they did not play they had a bad shooting game neither one of those two has enough bad shooting games this season to get worried at all i mean we're malachi Breda was coming into the game averaging 27 points or like 70 percent shooting he wasn't going to keep averaging 70 percent shooting ej liddell is shooting like 50 percent from the field this year it means you're going to have a bad game at some point but i'll lean on ej liddell shooting 50 plus percent from the field every single game i'll lean on malachi brandon being around 48 percent from the field and 45 percent from three every night because he takes such smart and efficient shots so yes you're right they're probably top 10 top 15 amongst duos right now in the country of well how because i don't know how many teams out there can say every single night our best two guys bring it so was there anything in that maryland game listen as you said ej or excuse me malachi had been on a 
ridiculous three-game stretch that nobody's going to maintain that pace. But in the Maryland game, 4 of 13 in 34 minutes, 13 points, 1 of 6 on threes, 2 turnovers, 3 assists. Was there anything in the way Maryland defended him? Were they a little more physical with him? Did they keep him from getting to his spots as much? Um, you know, there, there was a point, I think when the game was in the fifties, it might've been like, might've been something like Ohio state was down like 55, 50. And I think EJ kicked it out to Malachi and he had an open three and it banged around both sides mm-hmm. of the rim and popped out. And it's like, if that goes down, I mean, it was, it was the same three point shot he shoots every time. And it, mm-hmm. it rattled out. If that goes down, it might change the game at that point. I thought it was some component of, he missed some shots that he normally makes, I also thought there was a, maybe a little bit of a team saying, okay, this guy's good enough now that we're really going to dedicate some resources to him and really try to make his life a little more difficult. And it might have been a preview of what the rest of his season's going to look like because he's garnering that kind of respect right now. Was there anything in the Maryland game that gave you a hint of how people are going to guard Malachi from here on out? And is there anything he's going to have to adjust to? Maryland was really physical with him. And I think I'm and I, the reason I'm starting with that is the first reason I'm going to give is he's tired. <laughs> you know, this guy's been playing 35 plus minutes and being asked to do a lot because he's been so hot over the past week that and Holtman's been kind of hitting at it the entire time. It's like, I don't know. I think I'm playing this kid too much. I think I'm playing this kid too much. And eventually it was going to backfire. And he was going to get worn down and a team was going to notice that and go, we're just going to put a body on him time and time again. We're going to throw guys at him. We're going to double him. We're not going to let him just face up at the top of the key and come off screens and go one on one against guys anymore. If you watch even late, there were times where he's at the point where it's like, I'm I'm just going to post up right here in the mid post. Can I get the ball right here? I mean, we haven't seen that a lot from him this year. He can do that stuff, but not when you're on minute 30 and it's six minutes left in the game and you've already been shooting bad and they've been weighing on you and weighing on you and weighing on you. So I think more than anything, you just got physical with a young freshman who hasn't quote unquote hit the freshman wall yet, but he might be, he might've hit a little mini one on Sunday afternoon. We'll see how he responds on Tuesday when they play Nebraska, but just be physical with him because he's not the same. EJ's a big dude, so he can deal with the physicality. Malachi is not quite there yet where he can start dealing with some of his physicality because he's like 6'5", but like 180 pounds. So he's not necessarily built yet to deal with that physicality, especially when you've played a game every three days and you're playing 35 plus minutes and you're probably just a little worn down from the season. So more than anything, I saw Maryland get physical with him and force him to play through that while also sending some doubles at some times and making him maybe have to be effective in spots where he hasn't necessarily been effective over the last week and a half. Eric Ayala is listed at 205. Yeah. Malachi Branham's listed at 180. It was one of those when, when you watch those guys, Eric Ayala was great for Maryland. And you like, you watch that guy. We have a question about that later. It's like, is that guy like first team all big 10? It's like, that guy was unstoppable. It's like, he doesn't average 25 a game, but no. you watch, you looked at them sort of, he's a senior Malachi's a freshman, like standing next to each other. And like from the side, Eric Ayala was like twice as thick. As yeah. Malachi Brandon. It's just like it's like a it's like a man's body to a boy's body. Right. And then I, I there was a play. I think it was Ayala where he beat Malachi and got an offensive rebound around Malachi off a missed three at a crucial point. Got a put back, I think, in a foul. And it was just like 
like just felt like fresher legs, like the home crowd energy, bigger body veteran guy. And Malachi was like a little flat footed, young, skinny. And it's one of those things where he's so skilled. And then in that moment, it's like, man, that looks like a skinny 18 year old. He is super skilled, but in that moment, that was like a guy three years older and 25 pounds heavier, just having his way with him for a rebound at a really crucial moment. So this is one of these things where the absence of Justin suing and the absence of Seth Towns and things like that are adding up a little bit because they are leaning on this guy for minutes. And I'm sure Chris Holtman doesn't want to be playing Malachi Branham all these minutes right now, Stephen. But if he didn't play Malachi Branham these minutes, they might be in a four game losing streak. Because they might have lost to Indiana and Illinois. He mm-hmm. carried them in those games. So they're two and two in their last four instead of 0 and four. But also, Malachi Branham looks a little tired right now. And that's the thing. Early in the season, teams were weighing on him and it was getting to him, but it's because he'd never played against it before. So it was a little bit of adjustment. And then he figured it out. Now teams are doing it because they know if they don't do it, he's going to score 20 points and he's going to do it in like 11 shots. And so yeah, it, it's another adjustment for him. It's just now you don't have 25 games to adjust. You've got three and then it gets real after that. So that's why I think Nebraska sucks. <laughs> How many sports can you say that in? But it is kind of important for that guy's psyche to see how he responds to, I've been shooting 70%, and then now I just shot 30-something percent, and and we got blown out because of it. How do I respond? Because I know Nebraska's going to do the same thing on Tuesday. Michigan State's going to do the same thing on Thursday. And next Sunday, Michigan's going to do the same thing because everybody's going to look at that Maryland film and go, okay, that's how we stop Malachi Brennan. We just push him around because he's 18. All right. I actually, uh, I actually, there's some rest questions that we have coming up. I want to finish up this NCAA tournament stuff and I'll, I'll bunch all these three questions together because I do want to talk about them um, again, sort of in terms of the tournament. So we asked about the first round loss from the five, seven, oh, it's our guy, Luke in Denver. Why should Ohio state fans reasonably expect this team to get out of the round of 32 without they performed our year mitigating factors abound, but the, in co- but the consequences remain. And then here comes ceiling question from the four for What is truly the ceiling for this team? When it comes to the tournament, it seems like the ceiling on this team is a potential elite eight run or first run exit. So I think my view of this team right now is I do question how many good games in a row they can string together. So do I think this looks, I like, I think they'll lose one of their first four games in the NCAA tournament, which is like a weird thing to say, but that means like they won't make the final four. So like, I can't imagine how this team makes the final four, but could they win their first two games, get to the sweet 16 and then beat a team like Illinois in game three? to get to the elite eight and then lose. I think that's not impossible, but also could they lose? Like to me, Maryland's a first round game. Could they lose that game? Yes. I think they could. To me, Iowa is like a second round game. Could they lose that game? Well, they just lost that game. Yes. I think they could. Then Illinois is like a third round game. Could they lose that game? Well, they almost lost it, but then they won it at Illinois. They could win or lose that game. I, I do think the inconsistency will get them. I do think the lack of a third score might get them. But I think the two pros makes them less susceptible to the Oral Roberts kind of thing than a year ago, where it was like, hey, Max Amos is the best player on the court, and what, what, what's going to happen here? 
but I just I, I don't know that I see a run because I don't know that they can put three or four high-level games together with a couple of the deficiencies in their rotation. Almost wish they could flip the Michigan and Michigan State games in that, you know, they were playing Michigan on Thursday and Michigan State on Sunday because there would be almost a really good litmus test of this because then, as you're talking about, uh, Nebraska stinks, yes, but the idea of, like, Ohio State's going to have a top five seed. They're going to be like a five or a four seed, depending on how the next two weeks play out. So Nebraska would be like playing a 12 or, you know, a 13 seed team. And then Michigan Nebraska, would be like – Nebraska's like playing a 19 seed, to be fair. Yeah, but, yeah, but again, to Maryland, be fair. I think yeah, Maryland's the, like a 12 seed, like Maryland. Was. Yeah, the, the, the concept of what it uh, – yeah, yes. that's why Nebraska's making this very hard because they stink. But then you move up a level and you play – you would play Michigan on Thursday, and that would be your second-round game. And then the Sweet 16 game would be like playing a Michigan State team who, you know, Tom Izzo's pulled off some magical stuff this year at times. He just beat Purdue. So it, it would almost be a good litmus test of like, could they just string three wins in a row? But also because they haven't won more than two games in a row since they played Penn State, IUPUI, and Minnesota, who all stink. And before that, they hadn't won at least three games in a row since they played, since they beat Duke and then beat Penn State and then Towson and Wisconsin. And then obviously they went on the COVID, the COVID break after that, but they, they, they've been two and out, two and out, two and out, two and out. So maybe this, this, these last three games, even if it's not any ranked opponents as of right now, it's, can you just win three games in a row and look good in every single one of those games and look like, okay, you, soundly won those games and you didn't necessarily leave room for people to poke holes and why you might, while that situation or this situation might cost you in a tournament play. Bracket bracket matrix has them as a five seed right now. Um, They certainly could work their way up to a four. They also could fall to a six. If they, if they like, if they beat Nebraska, but lose to Michigan state and Michigan, and then lose their first or second game in the big 10 tournament, I think they'd be a six. Mm If they win two out of three this week, they're probably locking themselves in as a five because either the Michigan or Michigan State win would be good enough to really help them. I will say when you do look at Steven, that when we were talking about this team last and I think the way we were breaking it down was that they have eight games left. It was like six home games and two road games. Mm-hmm. And you were you were talking about if they win the, the six at home and they split on the road, that would be 15 and five. Well, they've lost one of the home games, but they did split on the road, but they split opposite of what people expected. But we find this with everything. They, you'd rather have this split. You'd rather beat Illinois and lose to Maryland than lose to Illinois and beat Maryland because you get the, the higher level win against Illinois. Mm-hmm. And that, that's going to help them. And so like it's sort of like an upset and an upset rather than just like, oh, you beat Maryland. Who cares? And oh, you, you lost to Illinois. You can't beat Illinois. You'd take this. So that was a, like the Illinois win was like really good, like really good. Right. That's like arguably their second best win of the year behind the Duke win. Right. To beat Illinois on the road like that. Is that I don't know. Is that is that saying no, too yeah, much? That's, that's, no, that's that's probably. And to be honest with you, just because of how the net ratings work, the Illinois win is probably even more important because it was on the road. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, like that's, that was a, that was a huge game for them. So I I think to think that there are five here, here's the thing. They're leaning on Branham so much. There are times. And I think that we're going to talk about rest after the break. You understand that they would be legitimately tired here because their schedule got whacked by COVID and they've had to, you know, squish some games in here, but I could also see 
They're a five. They beat a 12 in like a hard fought game. And now they're coming back and they're playing the four in the second game off, you know, a two day off a one day off. And then they're playing again. And maybe they have like the late Thursday game and an early Saturday game or whatever. And they lose. And Holtman's like, we retired. Right. Like I can see that in my head of like, cause again, that if you're a five seed, man, your second game is a barn burner. So, I mean, you're an underdog in your second game. So the idea of, can this team get to the sweet 16? It's like, they're going to pull an upset in their second game as things go now. So I do think that, that the justice suing absence and leaning on Branham as much as they are. And the way Liddell has to play like multiple positions and they were playing lineups against Maryland where he's the five. Now he's banging down low. Now he's shooting threes. He has a lot of defensive responsibility that wears him down. I would be worried about them being tired in their second game of the first weekend against a good team. And that being a discussion point in the losing post game press conference. It's, I think it's going to be the most intriguing team go, thing going into the tournament if they do end up get, locking themselves into a five seed is do they get a 12 seed that can make that that is known to make things competitive? And so instead of it being a type of game where, all right, the first half may be you know, competitive because that's how basketball works, but eventually you go on a run in the second half and you win by double digits. And so you can like steal rest for your best players. Instead, you're playing a game that's a four-point game with four minutes left to go, and you've got to kind of fight to win it. So now it's like, whew, EJ and Malachi just played 35 minutes plus, and now they got to turn around and do it again against a team who's probably two or three times better than the team they just beat, and you ask them to do that again, they're probably going to come out flat the first five minutes of that if they play Friday, they would play Sunday. They're probably going to come out flat in that game. So, yeah, we can get into it more on the break. But, yeah, that is my almost number one thing. It's one, Well, number two, it's one, can they can they win the game? And two, it's what does that win look like? And what does that mean for the rest of this tournament? Because you know how there's that 12, right? I mean, it really let me, I, they're going to be the 5-12 game. I mean, that just feels yeah. like that. that. That 12 is either an underachieving power conference team that does have a couple pros, but has doinked around all season yep. and now is in the tournament and decides to get it together. And it's like, well, these guys are clearly more talented than a 12 or it's a high achieving mid-major that is like, this is it, baby. Mm-hmm. We have nine seniors. We have six guys who shoot 50% from three point range. We've been gearing up for this and we're here to take down big old Ohio state. Those 12 is a killer, man. So that 5-12 game, everybody knows the history of the 5-12 game. Let's talk about rest that's getting more nitty-gritty on the roster next on this basketball edition of Buckeye Talk. Doug and Steven taking questions from our tech subscribers. If you'd like to be a tech subscriber, 614-350-3315. Great week to do it. We're winding down basketball season, so Steven's texting on that. Nathan and I are going to be at the NFL Combine this week. Uh, the Tuesday podcast will be a Combine preview. And then we start interviews with, with uh, Ohio State guys at the Combine on Wednesday. So receivers go on Wednesday. So we'll have Garrett Wilson, Chris Olave, Jeremy Ruckert also on Wednesday. Then offensive linemen and the, you know, some defensive backs. We'll have Haskell Garrett and Nicholas petit Frere and everybody that's going to be there for Ohio State. So we'll have a lot of podcasts from the Combine. We'll also be texting from the Combine. This is while Steven is covering this three games of basketball for the Buckeyes this week. Again, the Nebraska game, a makeup from COVID. So they're going Tuesday, Thursday, Sunday. This weird 
Nebraska game thrown in here, Stephen, from the 309. With the Big Ten regular season championship out of the question, would you consider resting key players versus Nebraska? The schedule is brutal, and it might be possible to beat Nebraska without EJ and Malachi. Could that be, could you limit, could you do something to try to give these guys a blow here, Stephen? You can tell those two to play balls to the wall for 20 minutes and get up by 15 and 20 points in the first half and then put some punctuation and some snuff on it the first four minutes of the second half and say you're up 20 points by the first media timeout in the second half and then you sit them down. That's what you can do because you can't, they don't, they don't have enough guys who can create their own shot and create their own offense to just completely rest them. So like that's out of the question, even though I do understand why you put it that way, but no, yeah, you can tell those two guys to just be their best versions of themselves against the team. That should be easy to do that to for what is that 24 minutes where you're probably going to play each of them, 20 of those 24 minutes. And then you sit them down and you let, Cedric Russell and Meechie Johnson, who more than anybody needs to find some type of rhythm because, I mean, he's had two pretty significant injuries that knocked him out for a, a good amount of time that have now take, uh, now he's lost his place in the rotation at this point. Justin uh, just, Justin can get out there and get shots up. Kyle Young's been quality, but even with him, you might want to rest him because he still does have a history of injuries. That key can kind of find himself a little bit if he does end up playing in that game. So, yeah, I, I do think there is a world where – if if Malachi and EJ have to play more than 30 minutes against Nebraska, that's not a good thing. And now we go to Stephen Means' favorite topic. From the 614, given that the Buckeyes just played four games over eight days and now must play another three games in six days, do you think they will be gassed by the time they reach the postseason? Frankly, I think it would be fine if they lost in the first game in the Big Ten tournament and the hope they would be more rested to make an NCAA tournament run. If they get a top four seed... In the Big Ten tournament, they get the double buy. And then yes. if you have the double buy to like lose in the first round, you're losing to a pretty good team. So that would be pretty good for this team, right? Because you'd get the double buy, you'd lose like to the five. And it's like, well, there's no shame in losing to the five. You didn't win any games, but you made the quarterfinals because of the double buy, lose one game and go home. It's the Stephen Means master plan, is it not? It's why the double buy is so important. And that's really the only thing that is now in jeopardy because you lost to Maryland. Um, you did it your Big Ten title hopes, but now you've got six losses in conference. And as of right now, you don't have the tiebreaker against Iowa, who has seven losses, and Michigan State has seven losses as well. You don't have the tiebreaker against Iowa because you lost to Iowa. You only play Michigan State once this year, and you play them on Thursday. So if you lose to them, so now – and all three of you guys have seven losses. You go from the four seed and having a double buy to the six seed. Now you've got to play an extra day. And now you might actually have to win a game just so you can solidify yourself as a five seed instead of maybe going down to a six. So yes, win all three of these games, get that double buy, get your butt down there on Friday for what would be, I think the two thirty game and you lose. You lose that game. You make it competitive, so you look like a decent team, so you have some type of you know rhythm and momentum heading to the tournament, but you lose. We're, Chris Holtman, let's make a deal right here on this pod, because I know you're not listening. Let's only be in Indianapolis for 24 hours. Okay. Steven, Steven is not even going to get a hotel room. Steven no. is going to sh- show up, no. cover the game, and come home. It's yes. like one of those how, like, you know how they do, the guys say, like, 
uh, they go on the road trip and they're like, oh, I packed my bag for the championship. Steven's like, I didn't bring any underwear. You nope. guys are losing. This is a no underwear trip. If they go to the Big Ten title game, Steven is going commando because he's not packing clothes. He does not want to be there for the good of the program. Literally. Don't, go, don't, don't stay in Indianapolis too long because – the only if you're not going to win the Big Ten Conference uh, tournament championship, there's no there's no benefit to you. Being, and even then, there's like really no benefit to a team who is going to be a if you're a one through five seed, there's no benefit for you making a deep run in a power five conference. Yeah, it's irrelevant. And and like none of the fans care. Like nobody, no. nobody cares if they win a trophy at the Big Ten title, at the Big Ten tournament. So, no, that would be that's where you can steal the rest. And it's like, oh, my goodness, here we are on the opening tip of the quarterfinals between the number four seed Ohio State Buckeyes, number five seed Michigan State. And EJ Liddell has gone up for the opening tip and he has landed and he is holding his back. Oh, he's out for the game with back spasms. Oh, he's fine for the NCAA tournament. Malachi Branham. Oh, he stumbles. He's holding his ankle. Oh, they're putting ice on it. No, that's not ice. That's fake ice. That's styrofoam. He's faking it. Just like get lose and go home. I completely agree with that. Uh, this team. And that's the thing, Stephen, like freshman wall, short rotation. Do guys get tired? Like this team legitimately has all the reasons to be tired because again, they, they've, they've jammed two extra games into the, into the back third of their big 10 schedule because they had those two games postponed by COVID. This is abnormal. And so if in the normal course of things, you want them to lose in Indianapolis every year, but now it makes absolute, it makes more sense than ever to have just come off. What is it? It's, it is four games in eight days. And now they're looking at three games in six days. And then they'd be looking yep. at winning, You'd be playing Friday, Saturday, Sunday, three games in three days. If you make what? The like, for what, <laughs> for what, for what, for what, for what? So I, I do think that's possible. Let's talk about the rotation though. And this is overall season numbers, and this is not necessarily reflective of how they're playing guys right now. They have nine guys who are healthy right now, who are playing at least 13 minutes a game. Liddell, 33. Wheeler, 29, Branham, 29, Kyle Young, 23, Justin Arns, 21, Zed Key, 21, Michi Johnson Jr., 19, Eugene Brown, 16, Cedric Russell, 13. So with no justice suing, that's their nine-man rotation. The question from the tech subscriber from the 614, who should be starting and what should their rotation be? Crazy to think that I should be asking this question this late in the season, but it seems to me they're kind of stuck with several unreliable options besides EJ Branham and Kyle Young. Wheeler, Russell, Arns, and Brown all have limited skill sets and are really inconsistent. Zed seems lost right now, and Michi barely plays. Is there a rotation that they should settle on, Stephen, or are they at the point because of different skill sets, they, they sort of have a lot of one-handed guys who can do one thing well but aren't full players. Does Holtman just have to mix and match it every game, go matchups based on the opponent, go hot hand, go offense, defense? How is Holtman supposed to manage the rotation the rest of the season? I like Zed Key starting over Kyle Young, but Kyle Young should play more minutes. I think that's it. We see that sometimes in basketball 
where, you know, you, there's a starter, but then there's a finisher. I think Kyle Young's the finisher just because I think he's better in his skill set at this point um, because he now can shoot outside and can go off the dribble a little bit is a little bit more valuable in a world where you've got two scores and, and EJ and Malachi, cause he can space the floor for those guys. While Zed keys is kind of plopped up in the middle of the paint. And if his hook shots not going, then I'm not really sure what he's doing out there. Um, given what their skill sets are on paper, their best starting lineup should be Wheeler, Branham, Justin Orange, EJ Liddell, Zed Key, while like the, the top minute getters are Michi, Branham, Wheeler, uh, EJ Liddell, and Kyle Young. The problem is Justin Orange has forgotten how to shoot. And not I don't just mean like how to make shots, but like, like how to actually shoot the basketball. Because if you watch him, it's he has patented this pump fake dribble to the side and I'm going to pass it pump fake dribble to the side. Yeah. Pass it. And it's like, I get it. Teams know you can shoot. So they're putting their hand in their face faster than anything in the world, but you're a shooter, dude. And sometimes you just need to, sh- you have neon green light to just shoot threes. Even if they're not going in, you are allowed to shoot yourself out of a slump. And too often over the last two years, he just doesn't shoot himself out of the slump. He just ends up shooting one or two shots and they're like wide open jump shots. It's like, no, just, just get him up. Just get him up. You're the best, one of the best shooters in the conference. Just you're not helping the team because you pump faked and dribble to the side. That's not why you're a threat. You're a threat because you actually shoot the ball. But if he's not going to shoot the ball, he's a liability, which is why he's played less and less minutes. So even the 22.6 minutes per game he's averaging is kind of off because there's, you know, the 25 plus he was playing at the beginning of the season versus like the five that he's playing now. Michi. I think Michi was starting to figure it out. Um, Not like that he was going to be a star for this team this year, but I do think there was some room in there for him to do what Cedric Russell is doing right now in some of these better games where it's like he just randomly has a 12-point night, but he broke his face. And so he missed three or four games. And then he came back and he looked like he was starting to find it again, especially defensively. And then he hurt his ankle against Rutgers. And so he missed a couple more games. And so now it's been kind of weird for him because he doesn't have a rhythm and he is a little sporadic with how he plays. It can be a little bit of a roller coaster ride, boom or bust type of player. And when you don't have any rhythm, then you end up being more bust than boom most of the time, which is why his minutes have dwindled a little bit. Uh, Jamari will is a veteran and I understand that, but I'm like you said earlier, I'm not relying on that dude to shoot four for six from three point line every night. I think they're going to be he's a streaky shooter. So there's going to be nights where he shoots it really, really well. And he hits big time shots like he did against Indiana. But there's also going to be some. But there's a reason teams keep leaving him open. Um, so what this boils down to is. Eugene Brown is good, but he's still like he's not he's supposed to be a three and D player, but he hasn't quite gotten the three part down yet. So it's fluid. It's it's the starting lineup is not fluid. It's point. Eugene Brown is just going to keep that spot, but the rotation has to be a little bit more fluid in a way that's like EJ Malachi, Kyle Young are going to play a lot of minutes. Jamari Will is going to play a lot of minutes because you don't really have anything else at guard. Everything outside of that is going to depend on who's playing well. I think Orange is going to vanish. I mean, you talk about that. He hasn't played more than 20 minutes, like in the last 10 games. He's like three of 10 on three. He's not shooting. He's they've. 
Brown has taken his minutes. He like you said, Eugene Brown's three and D, but he's not really the really hitting threes, but at least he's the D. Orange is like three and what, and he's not hitting the threes. So Orange, yeah. I think Orange could get a DNP in an NCAA tournament game. Yeah. Uh, Brown is going to be useful to D up against talented teams. Mm-hmm. And I do think you can um I think you need to fit more as when Russell's hot, he needs to fit more minutes in with the Michi Wheeler combo, right? You got to squeeze some said minutes in there if Russell is heating up at all. But Kyle and Kyle Young will take some Zed key minutes because Kyle Young played 29 and 28 minutes the last two. I mean, those are starter minutes and that feels real, right? That like Kyle Young is, is like their third best player right now, right? Of the thing, yeah, and of the rotation things that Holtman has done this year, the idea of get Kyle Young to March because you know he's got an injury history, he hasn't missed a single game this year. That's an, that's impressive for a guy who was constantly out the lineup at times during his career, and he got a concussion at twice at the end of last season. They have now. I don't have any wood in here because my desk is like a tempered glass, but. Assuming he gets to these next three games, this is around the time when you ramp up his minutes and you let him and as 24, 29, 28, 28. That's his last four games here when he's like not played over 25 minutes, but twice before that, before this stretch. That's been bravo. That's been magnifico for this co- coaching staff, finding a way to get Kyle Young to March. Well, we're at March now, so let's. I would expect his minutes to start ramping up. And Zed Keys will go down, but I like Zed Keys starting and you bring yes. in Young at that first media timeout, just like they did. They got down early and they brought in Young and Arns and they said, oh, Young and Arns kind of gave the Buckeyes a boost. It's mostly Young. Like Young comes in, he can, when EJ gets doubled, he's capable of getting open and getting to the basket. He can rebound. He'll D up a little bit. He is a threat to shoot from outside. Um, he's a 33%, 30, yeah, 33% three-point shooter. He, he has a chance to be your third guy. It's one of those things, Stephen, it's hard. Yes, it's unsettled, but you can find the options in here, right? That it's like, all right, well, if Kyle Young's kind of coming on as your, as your third guy, I think, so we just did figure it out. They have nine guys, but we see Zed Key and Justin Arns going down. So then that's more like seven guys that you're leaning into, right? And that's, your starters with like Cedric Russell and Kyle Young off the bench or whatever it is. Right. So, I mean, like that's, you can, you can settle in on that. I think you you can find, I think you can find a winning combination in there. And I do think it's really valuable that, that getting Kyle Young, that Kyle Young is playing this well, this late is a job well done by Chris Holtman and Kyle Young to do this. Cause this is the whole point. And that if said Russell is like, all right, said, here we go. Let's heat up now. Right. And then maybe Mecha gets it back going a little bit. You can see how it could work itself out. But, um, but if the answer is a little less orange and a little less key, I think that does um, make sense. This is sort of about the Zed key Kyle young thing from the three one nine. Do you ever think Ohio state will build a team that doesn't revolve around an undersized big who they asked to do it all. Now that's also like an EJ Liddell question actually, but it's a discussion we've had many times on here, Stephen. It's, it is just, it stands out sometimes when they play teams that have bigger guys that are skilled, bigger bangers, and they're going to run into that in the tournament. They're going to run into teams where they're going to be asking Zed Key and EJ Liddell and Kyle Young to use their fouls on guys. It's a matchup they're going to lose. And it can be frustrating for fans to watch at times. I get that. 
I think that's an interesting question because <laughs> when I first got on this beat, they had a big man who wasn't undersized. It was a pretty big guy that they played through. And the entire questions was, is Ohio State ever going to ha- have a team that has wing players capable of scoring? Well, they've got the wing players capable of scoring now. I don't think we're going to go back to the Caleb Weston there where Caleb was basically 14 and like in nine his, his, his last year at Ohio State, standing at like 6'10", 270 pounds. I don't think we're headed back in that direction whatsoever. But I do think that they do need big men who can guard the other team's big men so that your EJ Liddell's, your Malachi Branham's, your Bryce Sensabaugh's when he gets here next year don't have to deal with that stuff. And that takes me back to Felix Zipporah who is a seven footer, well, six eleven, but basically a seven footer who's going to be out there to rim protect. And so, yes, that's a, that's a good way to sum that up. No, their, their best players are going to be their, their threes and their fours and their twos under Holtman. But if you can get in a recruiting class, a six foot, 10, six, 11, seven foot guy, maybe every other recruiting class as basically your rim protector and that's guarding those other big men, then you should be fine. It's just right now, they don't have that these last two years because I mean Ibrahim, they went and got Ibrahima Diallo as a you know like kind of a project long term. That was Ibrahima Diallo was their basketball version of Dewan Jones. He just didn't turn into what Dewan Jones turned into as a right tackle. Yeah, I mean it's 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 easy to be jealous, and again, I think you make a good point. Um, when you have a big like Caleb Weston, it sort of forces you to play a certain style, and maybe that's not the style that. Holtman wants to play. That's not frankly the style that fans want to see either. So it's like you want Kofi Coburn, right? I mean, you want like the big, you want the yeah, big guy who can do it all. That's like, okay, well, everybody does, but it also would be nice to get one of those guys. So um, I, I, I get the question because that's kind of an over, it gets you over the top kind of guy, right? That, that not to be silly about it, but it's like, if you dropped Kofi Coburn on this team with EJ Liddell and Malachi Branham, they're a national title contender, right? So it's like, well, duh, well, yeah, I mean. but, 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 <laughs> I get you over the top big at some point in the Holtman era would be interesting, right? That, that, that if that fat, you know, there was Greg Oden, there was Jared Selinger. It wasn't like Ohio state had that guy every year, but they had it every now and then. And it's, it's program defining. Okay. Third score remains a a worthy discussion. 19.3 points per game for Liddell, 12.6 for Branham. But again, he's like a 20 point per game scorer now. And then they don't have anybody else in double figures. Kyle Young, 8.5, Zed Key, 8.3, Jamari Wheeler, 7. Is this supposed, this is what Justice Suing supposed to be? I mean, I do, we, we have to give Holtman that out from the 937. Why do other teams seem to have a third scorer? And what does Ohio State need to do to get that third consistent scorer? Seems like the last few years, that's always been our problem. We have two scorers, and when they get cold, it's over. Is it development? Is it recruiting? Is Suing the answer with a mix of towns? Um, you know, last year it was Liddell and Washington. This year it's Liddell and Branham. Is, is suing supposed to be that guy right now for this team, Stephen? And is that just the answer? That's just a bad luck injury? Or is there something else they're falling short of here? Last year, Dwayne Washington averaged 16.4. EJ Liddell averaged 16.2. Justice suing averaged 10.7. They had it last year. He just got hurt late. And it, you know, and also they, you know, Dwayne Washington happened. But yeah. Let's, I mean, plug that in right now. Let's plug in EJ's at 19.3, Malachi's at 12.6, but it's really more like 15.6 based on what he's doing right now. Um, and then you plug in Justice Suing probably being at like, he'd probably be averaging 
12 this year, just because early on before Malachi turned into Malachi, he'd probably be back at think 15 points. And then he'd probably go down to 12. Now be, go down to 10 at this point because Malachi scoring. So justice is doing other things, but yeah, you'd have three guys in double figures pretty comfortably right now, if he was playing. And that's, that's, that's a simple solution. That's kind of annoying and maybe a cop out answer, but yes, that's, they'd have three double figure scores right now. If he was healthy. It's one of those things where, you know, if, Ohio State loses in the first round of the NCAA tournament. If they finish fifth or sixth in the Big Ten and lose in the first round, and it's like, that's not a good enough Ohio State basketball season, then I will not accept Justice Suing was hurt as the excuse for that, right? That it's not oh, just yeah, that, yeah. right? That like the big picture, okay, you have injuries. Teams have injuries. I get, I mean, like you've got to overcome. This is not good enough for Ohio State. A specific question about why don't they have a third scorer? I think justice suing has been hurt all year is an acceptable answer to that, Stephen, because it's, it's like that's what he is now. So the answer is now, well, how do you win without a consistent third score. You have to do other things. You have to get said Russell minutes when he's hot. You have to find ways to make Kyle Young as much of an offensive threat as possible. You have to, you know, free up Branham to go off for 27 in a tournament game, right? So you have to adjust. But I do think for that specific kind of question, you you gave the answer that is it's not an excuse. It's just a reality. This is a question I do think is aimed, you know, Branham, you know, Branham's a skilled guy. He's a wing if he's a two, I get it. This is a backcourt question, but I really think that this, this is a question about Jamari Wheeler, Michi Johnson, and said Russell. Um, it's about the backcourt next year from the 614. How much will Bruce Thornton and Roddy Gale raise the team's ceiling next year? The backcourt play this year just hasn't been good enough. This is talking about this really good recruiting class that's coming to next year for Ohio State. I don't think Michi's a point guard, so I think Bruce Thornton should start in point guard next year. So there's that one. Roddy Gale's going to play too. I think. Gale raises the ceiling more than Thornton in a very specific way. Thornton's better than him, but Gale's a bigger guard. And one thing I've noticed um, in some of these later games is, I mean, team, everybody shoots threes now. Threes mean long rebounds, which means your guards have to be able to rebound. Well, Ohio State's guards are like not big at all. They're like all hovering around six foot, six foot one. And so other teams have a size advantage on them. And so when you get these long rebounds, Michi Johnson, Cedric Russell, Jamari Wheeler often don't get them because you just got smaller guards. So you got a guy like Roddy Gale Jr. who's six foot four. That's a bigger guard. Malachi Branham is six five, a bigger guard. Even Eugene Brown, he's a he's six six. He's a bigger guard. That helps. Right. That, that's they've given up a lot of offensive rebounds and second chance opportunities this year to team. So that that almost checks off that box of not of they. I, I suspect that Ohio State's not giving up nearly as many offensive rebounds next year. But then also Bruce Thornton is a better basketball player than well, he's a more talented basketball player than Jamari Wheeler, especially offensively. So, yeah, those two specifically from a backcourt standpoint, if it's those two guys, Michi a year better and a year older. And then Malachi and Eugene Brown rounding it out. That's a better backcourt situation than what they have this year. If Malachi comes back. I think that's the point well taken. I have a, a specific theory and comparison about this year's guys, next year's guys, how it fits in the Holtman era compared to the Thad era that I will get to when we get to the Chris Holtman part uh, of this discussion at the end of the podcast. A couple more uh, nitty gritty basketball questions, though. 
This is from our guy, Seth, from the 614. This staff seems to be, this staff, coaching staff, seems to be missing a guy like Chris Jett, whose NBA experience would allow them to ISO Branham more effectively. It seems like he's set up for a clear out, but he has to operate with a guy in the lane and another on the elbow. It makes his hot week even more impressive. When we get down, Stephen, to sort of the nitty gritty of, you know, the offensive coordinator on this staff and, and that kind of thing where, okay, who's your third scorer? Well, your third scorer is Malachi Branham doing more, right? The third scorer is if, if it's like, okay, our first scorer is Liddell scoring 20. Our second scorer is Branham scoring 17. It's like, who's your third scorer? Well, the third scorer is actually Liddell scoring eight more and Branham scoring eight more. And they could pretend that's the third guy scoring 16, but it's just maximizing our top two. What do you think of the way this offensive staff maximizes, gets Liddell, gets Branham open, uses them, gets them to their spots, helps free them up? Are they doing a good job with these guys? And again, Chris Gent was like LeBron shooting coach. He was sort of like yeah. a shooting specialist, but then he was um, later in the Thad Mata era of a full assistant on this staff. You don't have to have NBA experience, but you got to be able to diagram offense for sure. I hate their offense, but I understand why they run it. Um, you hate Ohio State's offense? This yeah. feels like a separate pod. I didn't I didn't realize that you felt that way. Go, go I, ahead on that for a little bit. So I hate it, but I can't complain about it. They don't have a – as good as Malachi is, right now what his game is and what his skill set is, they don't have a guy where it's just like – at the end of the game, we're just going to run screen, pick and roll, pick and roll, pick and roll with everybody spaced out all day long. Malachi is a really good basketball player, but he's his he'll even tell you this. His ball, his his ability to dribble is it's it's to be desired still, especially when you want to put him in space like that. That's how he operates. He's really good in the mid range where it's like one or two or three dribbles max. And then he can pull up or he gets all the way to the basket. He's not you know, I'm not he's not breaking anybody off at the top of the key. And so because of that. And then what EJ is, the type of score he is and the type of player he is, they run these very simplistic options that aren't overly hard to guard, but it's just kind of designed to like get somebody to a spot so you can give him the ball. But there's not necessarily a lot of space involved with that because of a combination of nobody can shoot or they don't want to shoot and the how the offense works. So often one of the plays they run typically to open the game up, They'll, first of all, Jamari Will is on the other side of the court, so when it gets tipped to EJ Liddell, he's got to come back and get it, which I don't understand why they do that, but oh well. They'll bring Jamari off a screen from EJ Liddell that is not designed for him to actually attack. It's just to start the action, and then he'll pass it back to EJ Liddell. EJ swings it to Malachi, who's typically coming off a pin down on the other side. So it becomes like a, a, a you know, in the NBA, often you see these handoffs that turn into screens. You yep. see that, that they'll do that with EJ and Malachi. And if that's not there, then he'll just throw it back to EJ. He's typically posting up on the other side and that's their first action. And then they'll run different variations of that same exact action. But it's every, a lot of their actions start off with a screen for who's ever bringing up the ball, but the screen is never to get that guy in attack mode. So he's not really a scoring threat. 
threat. It's just to start an action. And that's the thing I hate about it, because if you're going to set a screen for somebody that his first options, his first thought should be I'm attacking whatever the defense does to respond to it, whether they're blitzing it, whether they're doubling it, whether they're soft hedging it, whether they're icing it, whether they're hard hedging it, whether they're switching it, whatever they're doing. If you're coming off a screen, your first thought should be I'm attacking and putting the defense on the heels. But that's not what those actions are often designed to do, which is why you don't often see a lot of the ball screens that are designed to do that until the game is on the line and they're running a screen and roll or elbow with Malachi as the ball handler and EJ as the guy setting the screen because you want your best two guys involved. But that's their talent right now. They don't have a guy who's designed to just play pick and roll basketball all day long. That's where Bruce Thornton comes in next year because he's a point guard who can do that. So I hate their offense, but I understand why it's set up this way because your best two scores are operating constantly in the mid-range area and not necessarily in just like space. That was really good. That's interesting. But it's also, if they don't feel like they have guys who can do it, it'll be interesting to see next year, as you said, when you get a guy yeah. like Thornton, do they do, they do that more? Um, let's get to an Ida LaGell question. That I, 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 I have some questions about this question. For the 941, I understand freshman Malachi Branham coming back to earth with an off day. This is going to talk about the Maryland Moss loss. Malachi has overachieved as a freshman, and I can't expect 20 plus from him every game. But supposedly EJ Liddell is a Big Ten Player of the Year candidate, and you would expect him to step up. This isn't the first time Liddell has let the team down, not a leader. Is this another case of the flu? I'm tired of hearing of Liddell as a Player of the Year candidate with games like this and other ones like this in his career. That feels a little harsh to me. He had 11 against Maryland. He did not play uh, particularly well. He has carried this team uh, basically through the last two seasons of Ohio State basketball. He is currently uh, in Big Ten conference games only, which is when you get to this point of the season is the best way to compare because non-conference schedules are so different in big 10 games he's fifth in the big 10 in scoring 19.1 i will say he has three big 10 games this year where he has scored 11 points or fewer he had 11 against maryland and they lost and then early in the year he had 10 against nebraska and they all they went to overtime in that game to win Mm -hmm. and then the next game he had 11 against indiana and they got their doors blown off at indiana so that was um coming off the super long covid layoff when they haven't played in like three weeks Mm -hmm. but when he scores 11 points or fewer they are one and two and their loss is in and their win is in overtime against the worst team in the conference so Mm -hmm. they do desperately need him. And if you, again, want to go back to the beginning of the podcast and talk about what does a first-round loss look like, it looks like EJ Liddell scoring 11 points. And you said that, Stephen. What do they need? They need EJ every night. He cannot afford an off game or they're going to lose. But I don't know. That question felt like that was putting an awful lot on a guy who has been a really good player and is allowed to have a bad game every now and then, is he not? He also has 11 games with at least 20 points and then three others where he's got 19, 18 and 17 and he's shooting 50 percent from the free, from the field this year for the most part. It, the, the, uh, the bad games are just outliers. It's just Ohio State typically they come in blowouts. So you pay attention to it a little bit more. That's the point. It's not even the, it's not so much that he scored 11 points and they lost. It's he scored 11 points and Ohio State got ran off the court. That's the, the, the important thing there. 
but but it's EJ's, probably it's very unlikely that they're going to play anybody with a pulse and he's going to score eleven and they're going to win. Bingo. That's yeah. that's yeah. Which Here's is the deal. It, which is partly I don't want to say fault, but like if he scores eleven and they lose, he's not blameless. It's like well we need you to score twenty. Yeah. But it also would be nice if every now and then he could score eleven and they could still win. But they are not set up to do that, as you said the very first minute of the podcast. Yeah, and that's like how defense is game planned for them. They want if you, if a team beats Ohio State and EJ Liddell had eleven points, the other team did exactly what it game planned to do. EJ Liddell is not Malachi Branham, where he got to once he figures it out. Teams still don't know who he is that well, so he can come out here and have a thirty-five point game against Nebraska. He yep. is walking into every game with everybody knowing exactly who he is. So he's getting doubled constantly. He's getting triple teamed. He's all attention is being paid to him. And that's what's made Malachi Branham so valuable is, hey, the first 12 minutes of every game, Malachi is going to get, I'm sorry, EJ is going to get 30 million different types of coverages thrown at him. Because if they don't and they single cover him, like Wisconsin did in the first game, he's going to have 28 points. Northwestern tried to single cover him and he had 34 points. That's what happens when you only guard EJ Liddell with one person. So, hey, Malachi, during these first 12 minutes when EJ is trying to figure out how to deal with all of this, can you score for us? Sure. Why not? I'll score for you. I'll have 15 points in the first half. And then at some point in the second half, maybe after that first media timeout, EJ is going to hit a couple shots and then we're going to go into the timeout. EJ is going to go, okay, I figured it out now. You can start giving me the ball again. And then things start clicking. Cause that's what, that's really what happened in the Indiana game. And I know that went left and they ended up blowing a lead at the end of the game and had to win it in over, overtime. But the point of the matter was EJ was trying to figure out how a team was guarding them. Malachi was keeping them afloat. And at some point EJ said, I got it from here. And that's honestly how this should work going forward because EJ is going to have to do that every single game. So no, it's not fair to say that like he's not showing up. It's just, no, it's, when you're the best player and everybody knows you're the best player, you're not just ever going to come out hot because the team isn't going to let you do that. And again, the game he had against Barrett was like his worst game in like two months. Like, it's not yeah. like he does this all the time. In Big Ten play, when he scores at least 20, he's done it seven times. They're six and one. And the loss is a three-point loss at Purdue. So mm-hmm. like when he's on, they beat everybody. When he's off, they don't beat anybody. When he's in between, they're in between. But again, if we're talking about, hey, you know, why, why should you feel good or bad or whatever about Ohio State and the NCAA tournament? It's like, listen, if EJ gets his, Ohio State's in pretty good shape. So, I, and I don't know that, I mean, again, the guy is legitimately one of the five or six best players in the Big Ten, no doubt about it. If you want to make an argument, he's two. If you want to make an argument, he's five, whatever. You don't have to live in fear of the 11 point game in the first game of the NCAA tournament. That, that doesn't make sense, right? That he's had three games like that the whole year. That's, yeah. that's, it, is it possible? It's, it's possible if somebody sells out on him and, you know, they have a particular game plan or like a defender that really matches up well with him or whatever. But it's not likely. This guy is a really consistent, high level player. And I thought that that question was a little harsh in the tone. It, I mean, this, this guy has carried this team. It's not like he lets them down every other game. He had he had an off day for the first time in two months. Little quick one about Maryland before we take our last break. From the 5-1-2, how the heck is Maryland under 500? The Buckeyes did not play well, but the Terps have dudes. Again, talking about three guys, that threesome with not only uh, Ayala and uh, 
and uh, Pats who's Russell. the little guy? That's Russell, Russell, and and then Dante Scott. Scott. Yeah. Dante Scott as a third guy is like drop Dante Scott in Ohio State as the third guy. You'd take that all day. I don't know. Eric Ayala in Big Ten play is averaging 13.8 points per game. That's 19th in the league. That looked like a big physical dude who can handle, who can rebound, who can shoot. I, watching him once this year in that game, I don't know how that guy doesn't average 20. Like it, it was like Ohio State couldn't stop him, but he looked like a guy to me that a lot of people would have trouble stopping, but he's only averaging not even 14 points a game. What's up? Because Maryland has three guys who are just like Dwayne Washington Jr. Because oh, they have three Dwaynes. Yeah, because in the first game, Fats Russell was five of 15 and jacked up a lot of the same shots he jacked up on Sunday. Eric Ayala was two of nine. And Dante Scott, Dante Scott had a good game in the first game. He had 25 points on eight of 13. But that's why. In the second game, Fats Russell was nine of 19 and six of 10 from three-point range, where a lot of that came when he just like caught fire late. Eric Ayala was eight of 17 and had 23 points in 20. And then Dante Scott, five of eight for 14 points. But yes, they have three guys who play it away where it's like when they're on, they're on. And when they're off, well, and, that, and that's why they won this game by 15 and lost the other one. But guess what? 15 points. That's why it's it, that's what when Fats run. I think he hit like once he hit like his fifth three. I'm like. Oh, yo, Ohio State's going to lose this game because he's feeling it and he's at home. He's talking a little trash now and he's got a little pep in his step headed back to that media timeout. You're just going to have to deal with the fact that the good side of Dwayne Washington Jr. showed up. Yeah, no, and I could see he looks streaky because he was jacking yes. up some of those. He's hitting like some fadeaway threes and stuff and he's a little guy that's like, okay, little guy got hot. I just thought Ayala had some game, man. I mean, Ayala made some spin moves off the dribble mm-hmm. and stuff. And again, he's really nice. Talented. He's got good size and stuff, and he gets he can, looks like he can get to the rim. I thought, man, if you can get to the rim like that, I, I think you should be scoring more than 14 a game in the Big Ten. So, anyway, they did like that's a but that's like a bad loss. Like, they're an under 500 team in the Big Ten, but it was at Maryland. They were celebrating the 20 year anniversary, right, of their national championship team. Everybody mm-hmm. was jacked up. And they have three Dwayne Washingtons who all played well. So in that context, it's not it's not like they lost to Nebraska or Northwestern or some team like with no talent. They lost to an inconsistent team that actually has three talented dudes who are all on at the same time. Not that it excuses it, but uh, Maryland did some really good things in that game. All right, last break. Come back. My Holtman theory and comparison and Chris Holtman talk next on Buckeye Talk. Doug Maurice back with Stephen Means. Three regular season games left for the basketball Buckeyes from the 5-1-3. No question, just a statement. Following Ohio State basketball has to be what following a marginally good slash pretender college football team feels like. For instance, think Wisconsin. It is one of these things. We primarily talk football in this podcast. We primarily write football at cleveland.com. We all understand you cannot think about Ohio State basketball in the exact same way that you think about Ohio State football. but. See, I, I guess the, the thing that I would argue a little bit with about, about a comparison to like Wisconsin football is when you're Wisconsin football, Ohio State football is always in your way, right? It's mm-hmm. always there. It never goes away. And Wisconsin football will never be better than Ohio State football. 
unless something goes wrong with Ohio State football. I don't think Ohio, I don't think Big Ten basketball has a team like Ohio State football right now. There was a time when Michigan State basketball was that. I, I don't think it's there that anymore. They're still good, but they're not the number one roadblock to everybody else in the conference. And so then when you look at Wisconsin, Illinois, Purdue, Michigan State, Iowa, the other top teams in Big Ten basketball right now, Stephen, if you're Wisconsin football, you look at Ohio State football, it's like, well, why aren't we that? And it's like, well, we know. Wisconsin football knows why it's not Ohio State football. When Ohio State basketball looks at Wisconsin basketball, Purdue basketball, Illinois basketball, Michigan State basketball, Iowa basketball, Michigan basketball, anybody else they're competing with. Is there any team they should look at and say, well, we can't be that? Or should they think that we are as good as them? That I do think there's a difference there. Is there not? Yeah, that's a really good way to put it. Because even in Michigan State's heyday, Ohio State would you know butt heads with them every so often and win some games. It just... It's such a different sport that we're like the most talented team in football wins 90% of the time. And then there's that one time every so often where the, the least talented team wins because the more talented team has a flaw there. That's not how basketball works, but then also there isn't Tom Izzo is why Michigan state is a blue blood. You know, it's not like yeah. how Kentucky is a blue blood or UCLA is a blue blood. Um, even Duke, like that's Coach K. And then we'll see if John Shire keeps that going if, when Coach K leaves. But th- th- those traditional blue bloods where it Carolina. doesn't matter who – yeah, Carolina, it doesn't really matter who the coach is. As long as he's pretty decent, the 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 brand will take care of itself. There isn't that in in the Big Ten. There's just a lot of really good teams who all play each other tough and some decent coaches. And at some point, so I do think at some point it's reasonable at some point in the Holtman era, then Ohio state has to be the best team. One. Yes. Like it's, it's gotta be their turn at some point because there's not, there's different roadblocks. There's a, there's a deeper pool of good teams than in football, but there's not the one team that's always in your way. And so that means at some point it should be your turn. And like, Mm -hmm. For for after the Illinois win, it was like, oh, man, is it their turn? Like, okay, if you do this and that, could they tie for the Big Ten title? Whatever. And it's like, oh, then they lost to Maryland. Now it feels like it's not going to happen. And they're going to finish fourth or fifth or whatever it is. So, which is fine. It's not the end of the world. But, man, it's got to be your turn at some point when you don't have a roadblock like that. All right. This, we'll ask two Let's ask this question about Holtman first from the 614. Why should we have any faith in Chris Holtman? Does Gene Smith have high expectations and standards for men's basketball? Does Holtman need to get time, need to get to the Sweet 16 to keep his job? Um, Ranked the Ohio State coaches since Fred Taylor. Eldon Miller is the only one I have Holtman beating. I think he beats like Randy Ayers and some guys. I mean, Gary Williams was here three years, right? I mean, as the comparison I've made a couple times is, most of the coaches in Ohio State recent basketball history did something really good right away. And then it gave them some capital. And then they didn't necessarily live up to it. But like Jim O'Brien and Randy Ayers and Thad Mata all had more success at this point than Chris Holtman's had at the highest level. If he just had one elite eight, right? If he had one Big Ten regular season title, it would make a difference. And we do have to keep in mind they missed a tournament in a year when they might have been pretty good. Mm-hmm. So that hurts them. This is his fifth season, but they've only been in three NCAA tournaments so far. 
It's like the question of like, why have faith in Chris Holtman, Stephen? I think the reason to have faith in Chris Holtman is because he is without a doubt pretty good, right? He's not bad at this. He has a good recruiting class coming in. He's competent in game at the very least. I think sometimes he's very good. It seems like his players like to play for him. He has developed guys. Malachi Branham's development in one year is very high level. The way EJ Liddell's game has grown this year, he's pretty good. So it's not a disaster, right? And it always could be a disaster. Archie Miller in Indiana was a disaster. He got Mm -hmm. fired. So it's not that. So, like, that's the faith, that the basement is pretty high. But I do think you still have questions about the ceiling. It's just results time. And I get it. I get you're frustrated because you feel like now it's time to see this is a results-based business. And right now, yes, all those things you just did, you just named off. But, like, where are the results at? What is it getting us at the end of the day, right? You can do all the development you want and good recruiting you want, but it's got to pay off on the field. It's just like in football, like you can put together a million top five recruiting classes, but if you're not winning football games, then what's the point of having a top five recruiting class at that point? So I, I get it, but we also, it seems like the outrage when the Maryland games happen are always a lot louder than like the elation when the Illinois game happens. Because both of those things can be true. And right now, until we see the postseason, you know, results, when those two things happen, especially when they happen back to back, like they constantly do for Ohio State, it becomes a question of, okay, the ceiling is this high and the floor is this high. Which way is the arrow pointing right now? I think that's probably right, that the the reactions to the bad losses are, are stronger than the reactions to the good wins, which is a tough life to live for a coach. Um, But he just, he hasn't built the capital. He didn't have the great. Now that, that the Cater Bates D up year was really good and they overachieved. Yeah. But but even that's like, those are two Cater Bates and um, JT. I mean, they're just, they're veterans at that point who were pretty much the leaders of that team and made, I don't want to say they made Holtman's job pretty easy, but that's a, that's a pretty solid situation to fall into as a first year head coach. And listen, listen, there's a lot of luck that goes into this. Thad Mata made an NCAA championship game because a bowling green transfer nailed a cold blooded last second three to save two top four NBA draft picks from a second round exit. And if Ohio State loses Xavier the second round that year with two top four NBA draft picks, the entire Thad Mata era is different. But Mm -hmm. Ron Lewis came to the rescue. So we we get it. We get it. We get it which is why I do want to do uh, my comparison here before we get to this honest assessment of Chris Holtman. So I'm trying to think about things. I, it's, I can't help it. Uh, I covered the Mata era. So that's my, that's my comparison point for Ohio state basketball. So I can remember. So, so I think a lot of what's happened in the Holtman era is almost like the Mata era. If you just take away Greg Oden and it's like Thad Mata happened to have a relationship with the number one recruit in the country, he came to Ohio State. He was able to get him to come here, and he got his friend to come here, too, and they turned into Greg Oden and Mike Conley. That's great credit to Thad Mata, but it's not Chris Holtman's fault that he didn't have Greg Oden in his pocket when he got hired here. So Greg Oden, Thad, and, and Mike Conley, that's, that's the third year for Mata. That's year three, right? Then year four, 
they don't even make the tournament because everybody leaves. They win the NIT. And then year five is the first round loss to Siena. Mm -hmm. So this is now Holtman's fifth year. So if, if you sort of now Thad did a great coaching job in his second year to win the NCAA, to win the big 10 title with a Terrence Diles led team, which was, that was way overachieving. So Thad gets a lot of credit for that too, but I want to get to year six of the Thad Mata era. Year six, so so year six of the Thad Mata era is Evan Turner is the national player of the year. And they lose in the Sweet 16. They should have gone farther. But Evan Turner is awesome. And even when they lose to Siena in the first round um, the year before, you can see the development that's coming because that's a John Diebler, Evan Turner, William Buford, David Lighting team. And they're all going to be back. So they lose in the Sweet 16 and year six of Thad Mata to Tennessee with Evan Turner. And people, I remember people at the time being like, they're going to be better next year. It's like, what are you talking about? They're losing the national player of the year. It's like, no, wait till you see what they got coming in. And so then they come in and they keep, they have John Diebler, David Lighty, William Buford as, as holdovers. And then they have this recruiting class that comes in. The Jared, Seller, Aaron, Jared Sellinger, Aaron Kraft, Deshaun Thomas recruiting class, right? That mm-hmm. really, truly is the defining Thad Mata team, right? Because the great Odin thing was kind of a flash in the pan. That's year seven. That's year seven. That you have that, those freshmen, primarily Sellinger and Kraft, added to some really good holdover veterans in Buford and Lighty and Diebler and Dallas Lauderdale. Turner leaves. And that's their best team. Now, that team also loses in the Sweet 16, and they should have gone farther. That team should have won the national title. That really is Thad's most complete team. Now, Odin's a bonkers nut job, superhuman, and they've made the national title game. That's year seven. I think Holtman's team next year, Stephen, has a chance to be that team. And I think there's a chance that EJ Liddell is Evan Turner. Not just because they're both from Illinois, but they're development, they're developmental guys who leave after year three on high notes and they're really good. And it's like, oh no. And then it's like, guess what? They're going to be better next year. It's like, they're going to be better next year. This is really incumbent on Malachi State. But if Malachi Branham comes back next year, so you have Malachi Branham, you have Eugene Brown, you have more Michi Johnson. Right. You have guys like that. And then you add this recruiting class. You have a chance to have older guys with some great young talent. And you have a chance in year six of Holtman to have the Thad team of year seven. That was awesome. That was the number one team in the country going into the NCAA tournament. Now, they didn't make it. Then Sullinger, all those guys came back and they made the final four in year eight of that. But that's why I think. As like Holtman's not going anywhere, but I am holding out, you know, not a final evaluation, whatever I want to say, Stephen, right? Um, whatever happens this year, they have to be better. 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 But even if they lose in the first round of the NCAA tournament, Stephen, even if this end of this season goes south, I think it's possible Next year, six of Chris Holtman looks a lot like year seven of Thad Mata and year seven of Thad Mata. Listen, man, he had a couple rough years before that. Right. So what do you think of that comparison? And do we have to hold out on our 
Chris Holtman full evaluation until that recruiting class next year comes in because it is definitely his best and deepest recruiting class. Um, I like the comparison. EJ Liddell's Evan Turner, Malachi Branham's Jared Sullinger. Um, But I think the point you made that because Thad Mata had the benefit of a previous relationship with Michael Conley and Greg Oden, he was afforded that luxury of being able to, oh, let's just, let's just see what happens. Holtman doesn't have that. And so if they lose in the first round, whether it's fans or whether it's us getting on here talking about why they lost to Oral, the Oral Roberts of this year, yep. we're not going to be able, in the moment, we're not going to go, okay, it's okay. I know they lost in the first round again. I know they didn't make it to the second weekend again, but wait one more year. I, I don't think we can do that with him because he doesn't have that built-in success, whether it's because it's something that's in his control or not. It's, and we've said it time and time before, it's the relationship with Greg Oden and Michael Conley. It's the Jared Selinger committing to Ohio State as an eighth grader and never really wavering off that. And then Aaron Kraft ended up being a lot better than maybe anybody thought he would be. And Deshaun Thomas coming along. Like Ohio just hasn't had that level of talent since Holtman's gotten here. With all the like Malachi Brenham's the first top 50 recruit to come to Ohio State in, in some time from who's from the state, who's from Columbus, Ohio at that. I know he went to St. V's, but he's from Columbus, Ohio. He grew up actually in the same neighborhood I grew up in. Um, so I get the comparison, though. I have a better one for you and I actually used it to say why Malachi Branham should come back. I think Malachi Branham can do what Trey Burke did at Michigan, mm-hmm. where in year one, Trey Burke was pretty good at Michigan in year one. He ends up because Darius Morris left. He ends up get, being the starting point guard instead of the expected, like sitting behind Darius for a year. He ends, it's him and Cody Zeller competing to be Big Ten freshman of the year. And he had some NBA buzz because of the way he played. Not enough buzz to leave because he wasn't a surefire first rounder, but enough to where at this point in that 2011, 2012 season, his name started popping up on some draft boards. And so he did the responsible thing by going and getting the information, which is what I fully expect Malachi to do because he'd be an idiot. He and his family would not be smart to not do that. But then Trey Burke eventually came back. He came back with a recruiting class who was eighth in the country with Glenn Robinson and Mitch McGarry and Nick Stauskas and, you know, Spike Albrick and Karis Levert. And that young talent combined with Trey going from being a, kind of a hmm, he's pretty good to the national player of the year by every standard along with Tim Hardaway Jr. They got to the national championship game and were and they're basically in a position where like Trey Burke just ran out of gas and Louisville was pretty good that year. So they lost. Well, what's Malachi Branham doing right now? It's him and Nebraska's kid for the Big Ten freshman of the year. He's having a pretty good year that he could go for it with the NBA. But if he comes back, Trey Burke ends up being a top 10 pick. Malachi Branham might be a top 10 pick in the 2023 NBA draft if he comes back. And what do they have coming in? A recruiting class that's ranked fifth in the country with some guys in it who should be right away contributors like Bryce Sintenbrough and like Roddy Gale Jr., like Bruce Thornton. So it's the same exact con- concept and you're the only person you're losing at that point is ej liddell as far as important kyle young as far as like important players everybody else is coming back and ohio state should be viewed as if malachi comes back a preseason top 10 top 15 team in the country so i think that's the route that chris holtman can be on now it's just to throw in more of your comparison michigan in 2011 2012 had a four seed and they also lost in the first round 
So I think that's the more of a comparison of what Michigan did 10 years ago, all because Trey Burke came back for year two. That's on the table for Malachi because all attention is going to be on him in the preseason next year. We got a decent number of sort of like Chris Holtman hot seat questions when we did the call out to our tech subscribers. I mean, there's no way he's on the hot seat now. If they finish this season poorly, if they finish fourth or fifth in the Big Ten, and if they lose in the first round or even in the second round at the NCAA tournament, they don't get to a Sweet 16. That will have been five years, four NCAA tournaments, no Sweet 16s for Chris Holtman. I just, and I've been as critical of Chris Holtman as anybody. Thad Mata's first five years missed the tournament. They weren't allowed to go anyway, but they beat Illinois, undefeated Illinois then, but they, they were like a mediocre team. Second year, they're the Big Ten champs. They're a two seed. They lose in the second round to a seven seed. Third year is the Yoden year. Fourth year, miss the tournament altogether. Fifth year, lose in the first round. So if you take out Greg Oden and Mike Conley, which is what Chris Holtman didn't get guys like that. But if you take those guys away, or if Ron Lewis doesn't hit the shot, you have those guys, but they lose in the second round to Xavier. Thad Mata's first five years would look a lot like Chris Holtman first five years even if they don't do much in this tournament Mm -hmm. so i just i just next year if if they lose early in this tournament i think then holtman going into next year would maybe be on the hot seat because then you don't get three years to see what that recruiting class does you need to see that recruiting class there's no reason those guys you can't have two guys who are really good right away and other guys that are helping and you're going to have enough back. Even if somehow Branham's not back, you have enough back. They need to be good next year. So after they lost last year, I said, they need to be good this year. I'm, I'm not like, he's not in, they've been solid. They didn't fall apart this year, right? They've been a, they're a good basketball team. They have good wins. They'd be Duke. They won at Illinois. So they've had some good wins. So this is the last one wrapping it up with Holtman. Cause every time we talk about this team, we talk about Chris Holtman from the five, one, three. Guys, I'm not asking if Chris Holtman should be fired because I don't think he should be. He has been decent overall, and he does have a handful of really nice regular season wins during his tenure. Can we get your guys' honest assessment of Holtman so far? Doug was pretty adamant after the Oral Roberts debacle that that wasn't good enough. Well, another year without a conference championship, and it sure doesn't look like this team is getting out of the first weekend this year. Let's start with you. I kind of gave my honest assessment of like pretty good, but Stephen, what's your honest assessment assessment of Chris Holtman? It's respectable, but it's not enough. Um, it's enough that, you know, Gene Smith got asked when we talked to him about, you know, Holtman's contract as well. And the way he answered the question, it makes it seem like that's coming up soon as well, that renegotiation. So that kills any hot seat talk of, you know, maybe he's a season away from being a season away from the hot seat, but that's like Gene Smith has made it very clear that, you know, that he likes what Holtman is doing. Um, but it's, it's not good enough at it. There comes a point where it has to be more than just you beat Duke or you beat Kentucky on a neutral floor in a non-conference game early in the season, or you got a pretty impressive win against Illinois on the road, or you, you know, you're five and one against your rival for whatever that's worth in basketball. When you some, you play your rival multiple times a year, at some point you got to get it done when the world is watching in March and he hasn't done that yet. And so until he does that, it's still just, decent but it needs it, it it's his tenure has left some things to be desired and he knows that at this point yeah i don't know like what's the best thing he's done his signature achievement is 
Here's so here's some stats what? for you. Actually, I was adding this up. He's 21 and 25 against top 25 teams. He's 10 and 10 against top 10 teams. He has two wins over teams who were ranked number one when they played them. So that's probably his best achievement. The 2018 yeah. win over Michigan State and then the win over Duke this year. He has 27 losses to unranked teams, which is 5.4 per season. And he doesn't have any first round picks. But I don't, the first round pick part is okay. Who cares? This is basketball, not football. Um, first round pick and it, it, the equivalent of being a first round pick in the NFL is like being a lottery pick in the NBA. And there's only 14 of those. So I'll throw that one out, but his most impressive thing is he has two wins over a ranked team. Yeah. But they were both at home. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's not like the program. I mean, the pro- programs fall off a cliff all the time. They have certainly have not done that. It's not like it's been bad. It has not been bad, but it is not as good as it could be. And I do think, I could see a world where if they don't have a great tournament run this year and if next year they're good again, but not great. I don't know that Chris Holtman would get fired, but I could see like Chris Holtman making a lateral move for a job. And like, it just kind of like, we almost get to the point with the way that we've sort of discussed James Franklin and Penn state at times, like, listen, Man, he's done a good job, but have they really gotten over the top? And are Penn State fans a little weary of him? Is he a little weary of Penn State fans? Hey, maybe he's going to go to USC. Oh, wait, he signed a contract extension. Well, it's actually not as long as an extension as it sounds like it is when he actually signs it. And like we reached that point. The hardball. It's, it's the hardball yeah. method. Like it's fine. Like it's Earl Bruce. It's all like, again, it's hard to get away from football comparisons on a show where we talk football 95% of the time. But it's not horrible. And we know we've seen places where it can go horrible. Fred Hoiberg's been horrible at Nebraska. Horrible. Not going well at all. Right. I mean, we, we, we see horrible a lot, but there, there's no reason Ohio State shouldn't be a little better. And they've got to get to a Sweet 16 at some point. So they still could do that this year for sure. But as much as after the Oral Roberts loss, I was kind of like, all right, let's see this year. I really do think that recruiting class, right, Stephen, it is. It's the best. Mm-hmm deepest recruiting class you have a chance for two Branhams in that class and then maybe like a third guy who's also contributing so now you add that to Michi and Eugene Brown and Branham if he's here and all of a sudden it's like they could add like six or seven quite high level Big Ten players in their rotation next year where it feels like right now they don't I will say though how you lose is also going to matter part of the reason we were so on that ledge is because you blew that loss. You blew it. The game was over. You beat Oral Roberts and you couldn't make free throws and you had the wrong guys out there. And Dwayne's taking back shot. Like that was a bad way to get upset because you shouldn't have gotten upset. If Ohio state comes out there against a 12 seed who, I mean, we just described it different types of ways. There's 12 seats and like the 12 seed just has a heck of a game and you have a bad shooting night. Then it's like, all right, well, it happened. It's not a good thing that it happened, but that's how it happened. But for you to trick away a, win, a game like that, that's a problem. That's a coaching issue right there. And so that, those are, and so that's what it's make a deep tournament run. I'm not going to take that off the table. Get to the second weekend. That's uh, that is, uh, that's a non-negotiable for me, but if you are going to lose early, like don't be the reason don't do it. Don't lose early because of things you didn't do or you did do to make it happen. And they're actually going to be in a position they can't have as big of an upset as last year because they're not going to be a two seed. 
It's yeah. like they, they had a better year last year. They were two seed last They were a two mm-hmm. seed. We're talking about they're like they have to hang on to a five right now. Maybe scooch to a four, but if they stumble, they could be a six. They were a two. But when you're a two, that was one of the 10 worst losses in the history of the NCAA tournament. Because mm-hmm. only one one seed's ever lost. And I think it's like eight two seeds have lost. And they're one of them. So, and they don't have they don't have the equal postseason success to match the postseason disappointment. So getting to a sweet 16 would help do that. All right. That was a lot of basketball, but I think it was worth it. We'll have another basketball podcast early next week to wrap up the regular season and preview the big 10 tournament. And then we will have another basketball podcast the next week after the big 10 tournament to look ahead to the NCAA tournament. So we're leaning into basketball here and we might do basketball stuff on some other podcasts during the week or have a second basketball pod during the week. This is basketball time. But again, Nathan and I will be at the combine later this week. Look for that coverage here. Look for that coverage on the texts at 614-350-3315 and look for that football coverage and basketball coverage at cleveland.com slash OSU. For Stephen Means, I'm Doug Maurice, and that was... Buckeye Talk.